Well, good morning. I'm excited to be with you today. From back from Orange Beach, Alabama, fresh off vacation, and uh, I uh, got a chance to go with our family. Our whole family went down to Alabama for the first time, and uh, spent uh, a week with my mom and her husband and my brother. One of the one and only vacations we've had in years and years and years. Both my mom and her uh, husband retired this past year, so they thought. What better thing to do than to spend more money than we can possibly uh, uh, budget for and just have a time of our lives. So we got to go down, and it was a lot of fun. But the highlight was not just being on the beach and spending time on the beach. The highlight was the last day of our trip. And the crazy thing, and this is how God works, is... (coughs) Excuse me. One, I got a cold on my way back, so that was great. But... uh, we were supposed to be there all week long, but somehow the uh, dates got confused when we were preparing, and so my, my mom and her husband booked uh, the, the vacation, but started the, I think it was on Saturday, the week before, rather than the Sunday, the week of, so that we could spend time together. So we left Sunday afternoon, and we weren't going to get there till Monday, so with the way that they had set the dates up, we would only get to get like three or four days there rather than spend the whole week with them. And my mom felt really bad about that. So she's like, well, let me see if I can get you guys an extra day and then we'll leave and you can stay the day and then leave the following day. And I was like, okay, well, you don't have to do that. But if that's what you want to do, she's like, well, I'll look into it. And well, she ended up booking the day for us. I thought, well, that was really nice. And uh, so they left on Thursday and we got to spend Friday um, by ourselves, and um, they left Friday morning. We got to spend the day by ourselves, and then that evening, we ended up going to uh, meet up with Tony's aunt and uncle and their kids uh, for dinner. We haven't seen them in several years, and uh, we're over at their house. They're showing us around, and then we go to uh, eat uh, Chinese food, which is great because Tony doesn't like Chinese food, so we don't get to eat a lot of Chinese, but Reese and I were in heaven because we love Chinese food, and uh, Amen. It's probably the worst thing you can eat, but it tastes so good. Tastes so good. Um, And once uh, someone figures out how to bring uh, cashew chicken up to uh, Michigan, then we'll even be in better business. But um, we're we're sitting there, we're having dinner with them, and then after dinner, we're just talking in the parking lot. We're getting ready to leave because it's getting late, and we have to leave early the next morning. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Tony's aunt says, okay, before I die, I want to know that my boys are going to heaven. And, and, uh, and so she calls her sons over. One was in his car getting ready to leave already, and the other one was talking to our kids. And she gathers everybody up, and she's like, okay, I, I want to know that my boys are going to go to heaven before I die. So, okay, Joey, here, you talk to them. And I'm like, in the middle of a Chinese restaurant parking lot out of nowhere, I get put on the spot. So I'm like, okay, I guess we're doing this, you know. But it was awesome. We got to talk with them. And before we were done, we prayed and they both accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So it was just an amazing thing. And so, you know, it, it, it was amazing that we got to go down to the vacation. But it's also awesome to see how God orchestrated an additional day for us to stay so that that moment can happen. And I just want to encourage you not to take life for granted. Because you don't know why you got stopped behind the train and had to wait an extra five minutes in traffic. You'd, you, know, you, don't, you don't know, you know what is going on because God might be orchestrating. He might be setting you up for a God-appointed moment. And uh, so I just want to encourage you to uh, look at life 
through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of what we're, we're going to be looking at in our, in our new series that we're kicking off today. Because life has an uh, interesting way of taking some twists and turns. And our new series today is called When Life Falls Apart. Now, one of the reasons why we gather for worship each week is to receive encouragement, to um, hear the promises of God and how God works powerfully, hear testimonies like that. That's why we have the microphone set up. So at the end of each service, when we have ministry time, if God's done something in your life and you want to encourage the church with that story, we need those stories. I truly believe that when you give testimonies, you activate faith in other people to take steps of faith on their own, to grow in their relationship with God. And so we provide that, that opportunity for you to share what God's doing in your life to help activate or encourage other people in their faith life. And in when our gathering for church, as we sing songs about God's healing power, we talk about healing power, we pray for each other, we talk about the hope we have in Jesus as he returns and one day we'll take all pain away, all suffering and sickness. It's a glorious, glorious day that we have these promises that one day all things will be made new. These are the things we try to focus on and, and encourage each other with as we live through each and every day. But between the present and the future promise is a lifetime of problems. Between the present and the future promise, there's a lifetime of struggle. There's so much to be thankful for in this life. God is so good to us, better than we can possibly deserve. There's so many beautiful memories we're going to create with our friends, with our families, and different uh, things that we have going on in life. So many uh, things to be thankful for. But between now and the day we see Jesus face to face, we will also encounter struggles, trial, and difficulty. Among those amazing memories are struggles, traumas, and heartaches. And many of you have gone through, if not, you know, I know that we're all very blessed people, but most of us, if we could give a testimony or tell our life story, many of us would be able to recount some really life-altering situations. Maybe for you, it was an accident, a premature death in your family. Maybe someone was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. Maybe there's been some abuse. Maybe you were taken advantage of by someone that was supposed to look out for you. Maybe you even had a bad experience in a church setting and now it's a hard thing to really go deeper in your faith or to uh, connect with your faith. Whatever the situation is, when life falls apart, what happens is, is all the blessings that we have kind of slide to the background and all of our problems become front and center. And that trauma takes center stage and our blessings take backstage. And in these difficult moments, in these difficult seasons, we can become confused. If, if you have faith in God at all, uh, I don't know how people live life without faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know. The, the difficulty and trauma and things that people go through without Christ, I, would, I probably wouldn't be here even now. It, it, is, it is something I can't understand. But... If there's a faith at all, if you have a relationship with God, when you go into a season that's difficult, when life begins to fall apart in your life, it's normal to begin to question some things. And if we're not careful, the enemy will capitalize on those delicate, vulnerable moments and begin to create doubt 
in our life. We'll begin to question things like, does God even really exist? Like, I, I believe this, but now I'm not so sure because of what I'm experiencing. Is God really good? Because what I'm going through, what I'm feeling right now doesn't feel very good. Is he really all that powerful? Because if he was, I feel like he should have maybe stopped this from happening in my life. Or is he really a God of love? Is he really loving? Because if he loved me, why would this be happening to me? And our enemy, the devil from the beginning, has been getting us, trying to get us to doubt God's power, his goodness, and his love. Because he knows if he can get us to doubt that, then he can begin to lead us down a difficult and dysfunctional path. If we start that thought process that if God was good, if God loves me, why did this happen to me? What we're actually doing is we're buying into the lie that the enemy feeds us in those delicate moments to get us to lose our faith and land us in a place of discouragement and utter hopelessness, a place where we don't even want to continue on. In that place, we not only begin to lose our faith, but it also begins to change how we live. Often, especially if you're a committed Christian and you're in church every Sunday, when stuff begins to go wrong in your life, the first thing that begins to slip are your spiritual routines. You kind of stop praying. You stop attending church. You stop doing things that you know are a benefit to your spiritual life. We stop living from belief and we start living from bitterness against God because we blame God for our situation. We begin to search for happiness and hope that can only be found in God in other areas that we've long tried to avoid or have been taught in the Word of God will leave us even more broken than before. And the brokenness that we begin to experience in, in these areas that we search for meaning, happiness, hope, love that can only be found in God, when we start venturing away from God's will for our lives and we start seeking healing and hope and, and meaning in other areas, we begin to get broken in those areas and we turn that against God because we, that increases our bitterness or our anger against Him. It makes us run further from Him rather than running to Him so He can bring us the very healing that we hope for and that we long for. Jesus in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15, he's quoting from a prophecy from the Old Testament. But here's what Jesus says about, he's talking about the nation of Israel and the spiritual state that they're in. But he says, their hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear. They've closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see. Their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Did you know, church, we have a God who wants to heal you? God wants to heal you. But often, the attitudes or the emotions that we deal with put a wall between us and God, and so we can't hear His call to come. We can't feel that need to seek Him because of the emotion, the pain, the doubt, the fear that that gets in the way that says, if I go to God, I might be hurt there too. And so there's something in the way between just surrendering our, ourselves completely to the Lord, putting our faith completely in Him and letting Him heal us, and standing back and still trying to control our situation in our own life. But we have a God who wants to heal. He wants to work miracles in your life. But when you harden your heart against God or run from God, it takes you further from what our hearts are desperately seeking. 
So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to take a few weeks and look at some stories in the Bible at some characters who faced some serious struggles, whose lives were seemingly going very well and then took a turn for the worse and discover some truths that we can hold on to to keep us on the right path that will lead us through the pain and into his blessing when our lives fall apart. Today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 73. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there or navigate on the YouVersion Bible app to Psalm 73. And we're going to look at this song that was written many, many years ago, thousands of years ago, as this man named Asaph, who was a worship leader in David's tabernacle. We're talking about David and Goliath David. For those of you that, that maybe um, are newer to the faith, you understand that David slew the giant, and after that happened, some things transpired. He ended up becoming king of Israel, one of the most well-respected and significant monarchs in all of Israel's history. And David loved the Lord. He said he's a man after his own heart, and he was a musician and a worshiper in his own right. And when David became king, he built a tabernacle, a giant tent, where they placed the Ark of the Covenant and the other instruments they used for worship and sacrifice in David's time. And he began to hire musicians from the land so that in the tabernacle, there was 24 hours a day, seven days a week worship happening nonstop. There was never an end to the worship of God in this tabernacle. And as David is hiring these musicians, he comes across this man named Asaph, who was a highly skilled musician and a prophetic voice in David's day. And David chose him to be the chief musician, the chief worship leader in his <clears throat> in the tabernacle, in the capital city. So Asaph was a very successful man, and not just successful, he was a religious man, very well respected. He was in charge of all the religious uh, worship in the tabernacle. He wrote several psalms in the Bible. If you, if you read through the, the Bible, you see there's little notes after the chapters in psalms. It says a, song, a psalm of David. Often you'll see to the chief musician or a song or a psalm of Asaph. He wrote many of these uh, psalms in the Bible. And so you think this guy is a spiritual guy. He's used of God. He's well-respected. You, you would look at him like many people look at church leaders today and think, man, that guy is at a different spiritual level than maybe I am. Or that, that person, they've arrived someplace. Maybe one day, hopefully, if I can get good enough, I'll become as spiritual as they are. But the reality is, is whether you're a pastor, a teacher, whatever in the church, you're no different than anyone else. You have struggles just like anyone else has struggles. And this guy, who was well-respected, well-known, had an important job, was a spiritual, spiritual guy, had something happen in his life, and Asaph begins to take his eyes off of God and begins to turn his gaze on what the Bible calls the wicked. These are just godless people, people who don't live their lives with respect of God. They don't obey his commandments. They don't pay him any attention. They live their lives the way they want and, and so on. And the Bible calls that the sin or sinful behavior. But something must have happened in his life because he takes his eyes off God and be, he becomes not just aware of them, he becomes jealous of them. And Asaph begins to doubt whether or not any of his efforts to honor God, to serve God, to live a life that's holy, to serve in the ministry, really mattered at all. Is this even worth it? Does 
coming to church and serving? Does reading my Bible, praying every day so I can grow, grow, grow matter? Does listening to secular radio or Christian radio make any difference in my life? Because I'm looking at all these people and I'm seeing what's going on in their lives and I'm looking at what's happening in my life in this moment and I'm not seeing the benefit. So we're going to read in Psalm 73 and kind of peer into this struggle of Asaph because I believe that if you're like me at some point in your life, you might have felt just like this. I'm believing, I'm trusting, I'm praying, but I'm not seeing the fruit. Is this worth it at all? So here's what Asaph says. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud, and when I saw them prosper, despite their wickedness, they seemed to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Does he even care? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Verse 13, here's the key. He said, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we unpack your word, God, I just ask you to speak through us, God, as we speak to these difficult moments in our lives, as we speak to maybe even a situation in someone's life right now, God, who is doubting, who is hurting. God, I just pray that this would connect with them and Holy Spirit, that you would speak, that you would, that you would help us swift or switch our focus in this moment, that we would see your glory and your goodness because you have been good to us and you desire to bring healing. You desire to bring wholeness. And I just pray that your words would be declared in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's Asaph. He's kind of lamenting. And what he's saying is essentially sometimes when life falls apart, all our effort to be good can feel not so worth it. Have you felt like that before? Have you felt like that? Like I try and I try and I try, but nothing seems to be working. So why should I try? Right? Asaph is a church leader. He's struggling with this, and I've wrestled with this in my very own life. Wouldn't it just be easier to live however I want and just not care about what anyone else thinks? But when we get into this zone, the enemy begins to bring all sorts of confusion, and we begin to think things like, you know, I'm struggling to honor God in my finances, but while I'm driving a beater, someone that doesn't even care about God's driving a nice new SUV or you know, I might be waiting to be intimate with my spouse when I get married, but all these people seem to be having all these relationships and, and, and experiences and, and enjoying life, and I'm over here feeling lonely and alone. Or people are partying all the time. They're getting drunk and posting all their pictures to, to Facebook, and they seem to be having such a great time. And I'm over here, 
you know, trying to avoid watching stuff I shouldn't see on television and reading books that are a positive message and, and not being able to do these things because I'm trying to honor God with my life. You know, people don't want to hang out with me because I don't do the same things that they do. So my life looks boring compared to how everyone else is living it up. See, sometimes, and I believe this is what Asaph is getting at, doing things God way, God's way seems to make life harder and keeps us from experiences that everyone else seems to enjoy. And in this moment, when we're in this, the, this fog of dysfunction, this fog of frustration, the people on the outside who don't respect God at all, who don't even care about God, seem to be happier than we do to have more fun than we can have because they don't have all these heavy expectations. They seem to feel free. And in that moment, in the midst of that frustration and doubt, this cycle of discouragement begins to cycle out of control. It's fully underway. And in that moment, God can feel a million miles away. And it looks like he's blessing the wicked, all the while ignoring me in my hour of struggle. This is what Asaph is saying. But... Rather than running away from God and joining the sinners in their sin, the wicked in their wickedness, Asaph makes a different decision. In the midst of his struggle, he makes a decision that each of us, when life falls apart, a decision each of us need to make. And what does he do? The result of the decision that we make in this moment will determine how our situation turns out. It will determine the events on the road. It will determine... Um, whether we come out shining on the other side or end deeper into our struggle and our pain. So what does Asaph do? Well, simply, Asaph turns to God. He turns to God. In the midst of the frustration, amidst of the lies, amidst of all this, he turns to God. In verse 17 of chapter 73, here's what he says. Amongst all this lamenting, he says, Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. What happened in Asaph's life, he makes this decision. He says, I see how all this looks. I know how all this feels, but I'm not going to pursue that. I'm going to turn again to the Lord. I'm going to enter into that tabernacle where his presence dwelled, where there was 24 hours a day, seven days a week worship, and I'm going to see what God can do in my life. And what God does is he opens his eyes to see it looks like they're better off, but they're really on a path of destruction. They might be partying it up tonight, but they're puking over the toilet in the morning, so to speak. And even if in this life there is no consequence, in the next life when they stand before God and give an account, they will pay for an eternity of judgment. And it's simply not worth it. He has this aha moment. When his mind was taken off his struggle and redirected to what blessings and privileges we have in our Savior. He received a fresh revelation of the Lord. And I believe that's what God wants for some of you today. He wants a fresh revelation. He wants to open your eyes to see what is waiting for you if you would just surrender your life completely to Him and turn to Him again in your life. Asaph had his eyes open to the holiness of God to see how no matter what the wicked does in God's holiness, they will not get away 
with their wickedness. And he also saw the end of their folly. In Psalm 73, verses 21 through 22, not only did he see the reality of what they were doing and the consequences of their decisions, he was opened up to a mirror that reflected his own heart. He got to see himself and his reality of his heart for himself. In verse 21, it says, Then I realized that my heart was what, church? My heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. He's talking to God. Who was Asaph bitter at? He was bitter at God. He was bitter at the Holy One of Israel. He was bitter at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He recognized that really his frustration wasn't at the fact that what he was saying was true. He was frustrated at the fact that he felt like God was, was not loving him, was hurting him, was pulling the wool over his eyes. But when Asaph was redirected to gaze on the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, when he entered into the presence of God in worship, the spiritual mirror reflected himself clearly. And in light of God's glory, he became really aware of his own heart. He doubted God because the circumstances... In his life, Asaph allowed his own circumstances to define what he believed about God or who he believed God was, rather than letting God himself define his circumstances. And this is what happens often in our lives. When life falls apart, we look at our circumstances and we point to God and say, how dare you, God, rather than looking at God and having him define our circumstances. And some of you are in that place today. You're allowing your circumstances to define what you think and believe about God, and it's causing your heart to become bitter. It's causing your heart to pull away from the Lord, and you're looking at other people who don't even uh, recognize God and thinking maybe they have a better life, or maybe there's another or better way that can finally bring me happiness than all of this trying. Some of you have gone through some stuff, but you're here today I believe because you believe in God. And I believe you know in your heart that you love God and God loves you. You might be reluctant to free your heart in worship because of an insecurity that you have. You might have a difficult time connecting with God because you're still harboring some resentment in your heart against Him for things that have gone on in your life. But God wants to give you a fresh revelation of his goodness. God wants to bring healing into your life to reveal to you who he really is and the fact that he wasn't letting you get hurt while blessing those that were hurting you. See, it's not God's will for people to do hurtful things. But sometimes people choose to do evil because a gift that God has given us, which is free will. We all have free will. And we choose to rebel against God. That's what the Bible calls a sin. And when we choose to sin, sin hurts people. It does. God does not force his will on anyone. He doesn't force us into obedience. He invites us into a relationship with him. And sometimes bad things happen in our life. And the tendency, the human tendency in those moments is to blame God for our pain. 
But what Asaph understood in this moment as he has this fresh revelation of God, and one of the reasons he was struggling is because of the lies he chose to believe about God, that God wasn't good, that God didn't have his best intentions in heart, that God didn't know what he's doing, that, that, that he just you know, was wasting his time serving the Lord, trying to serve the Lord. And when he woke up to the reality of his own heart, he ends up forgiving God, repenting of those lies, and forgiving God for what he was harboring against him and, re and repenting of these lies that he believed so that he could become free from the frustration and the discouragement and the depression that was in his life. And when he made that decision to release God of the bitterness against him and repent of his sins, what happened is his eyes were open to the truth. And he entered into this place of worship, and God began to restore his life and restore his heart. But there was another revelation that Asaph received. It was not only what the wicked had coming to them in the revelation of his own heart. Here's what Asaph was, the revelation that Asaph received in verse 23 and 24, and 73. As he's coming to grips with his own heart, here's what he says. He says, still... I belong to you. Isn't it amazing to know that even when life falls apart and in our hearts we begin to reject God and run away from God because of the pain, that God doesn't reject us. The Bible says he'll never leave you or forsake you, which means there's nothing that you can do that will make God not like you and not want to hang out with you. He's not going to reject you. I still, even all the stuff I did and I believed, God, I still belong to God. You hold my right hand, and you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Somebody say glorious destiny. You're leading me to a glorious destiny. You see, God is not absent in your moment of pain. Even in the midst while it's happening, God is there. He is with you in that moment. He was present in your moment of pain. He's been with you the whole time, loving you and leading you, not only to healing, but to a glorious destiny. We have to remember, church, that as difficult times come, this truth that we need to cling to to help keep our hearts from drifting away from God, but actually motivating us to press into God in these difficult seasons, is when life falls apart, God is leading me. This is a, the truth that we need to hold dear, that when life falls apart, when struggles come, God is leading me. Turn to your neighbor, tap him on the shoulder, and tell them, when, God, when life falls apart, hear me, this is your participation time. So when life falls apart, God is leading you. Turn to your other neighbor. When life falls apart, God is leading you. This is what we need to hold dear into our heart. God is leading us to what? To a glorious destiny. To a glorious destiny. You see, in life, as God is leading us, we have our own mind, we have our own will, and sometimes we are pursuing things that are hurting us rather than 
following God to a glorious destiny. God has plans and purposes for us that are for good and not disaster to give us a future and a hope. But when we don't follow his plan for our life, we continue to try to control and pursue uh, what we want. We often invite disaster, struggle, and pain into our lives. Sometimes God has to close a door so that it will force us to, o- to walk into the open door. Sometimes there has to be a dead end on the road we're traveling so that we'll take the on-ramp towards our glorious destiny. Sometimes there has to be a stopping of a relationship so that we will be prepared for the one God has for us in our lives. Sometimes we have to be lowered so that we can see our need for God and be humble enough so that at the right time, God can lift us back up. Romans 8, 28 It's a well-known verse. It says, And we know God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. God has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for you. And in this life, because sin exists and evil is in the world, there are going to be good things and bad things. But God, like a master chef, mixes them all into His pot and produces something beautiful. My wife and I, we've been watching this show uh, from Gordon Ramsay. It's on the National Geographic channel. I think it's called like Uncharted or something like that. Uh, you guys know who Gordon Ramsay is? He's the, the mean British chef that's always swearing at people. Uh, he's like this tough guy, but I guess he's really a nice guy when he's not in Hell's Kitchen or wherever he's at. But in this show, he's going all over the world to these indigenous places, and he's learning from the locals how they get their food, from climbing up trees, finding grubs, to deep sea diving and pulling snails off of rocks. And it's interesting to see this like, like wealthy, like well-known guy do all this rough and, and stuff. And uh, his goal at the end of every show is to make a meal for the locals and try to learn their cuisine and how they make their food. And he even uses the ancient uh, ways that they cook from burying and uh, making a fire underground, burying the food and letting it cook. And uh, that was a funny episode because he couldn't open the thing and look at it because it would ruin the meal. So he had to just leave it set down. But this is the goal of the show. And, and what was interesting in one of these shows is uh, he was in this place. I forget where it was. But one of the delicacies in this place were these grubs that were like two inches long. And he had to find these grubs. And the, the, the female chef that was with them was like, oh, yeah, these are great. They taste like peanut. And she's like, you should try one. And he's like, what, just eat them like this? He's like, she's like, yeah, they're, they're great. So he's like, okay. And he popped it in his mouth, and he spit it out. It's like, disgusting. You know, he just was spitting it out, and he thought it was horrible. And he's like, I don't know about that. But on the day that they were to cook, they were doing this face-off where she was cooking and he was cooking. She takes a pile of these grubs and put them, puts them in the pot, mixes some other ingredients in there, and makes like a sauce out of them. And so he's like, what's that? And she's like, what's the grubs? And he's like, oh, you know, he didn't know about that. And she's like, well, try it now. And so he tried it apprehensively. But when he tasted it, he's like, that's bloody delicious or whatever he said. And uh, he, he's like, tastes like peanut. And he loved it. But what happened? She took something that was disgusting, mixed other ingredients in it, and made a delicacy. And this is what God does in our lives. If you only have good in your life, you'll never appreciate it. If you only have bad in your life, you'll never appreciate the good. So he weaves it all together. So he develops a story in us, a story that takes both the bad and the good that leads us to our glorious destiny. 
And so it's a continual process. And Asaph, as he dealt with these issues in his heart, the reason why he couldn't move forward is because he realized he was bitter against God. And some of us need to repent of being bitter against God. Some of us need to repent of some lies that we've believed and say, God, I'm not going to believe these anymore. I'm going to trust what your word says is true. I'm going to give you my heart. Forgive me of this anger that I've had against you. I release that and now lead me to my glorious purpose. And as Asaph did that, he awoke to this powerful truth. And this is a revelation that God wants us to catch today. In verse 25, it says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on the earth. When we know and we realize who God is, we'll realize there is nothing that compares to him. The first and greatest commandment in the Ten Commandments is that there is one God and you shall worship him alone. That's not an arrogant statement. That's God saying, when you realize who I am, you'll realize you want nothing else. God alone is our fulfillment. He is our desire. In verse 28, here's what Asaph, or 26, here's what Asaph says. He says, my health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. If you run from God when life falls apart, you'll have no strength to weather the storm. But when you cling to God, you'll find the strength because you can all, do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And he is yours forever. Verse 27, those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. There is no greater treasure than the Lord. There is no greater treasure. God is the strength of our heart. He is the source of our hope. And it's in the power of the Spirit and our faith in Jesus Christ we'll find the strength to endure. The Bible says His mercies are new every morning. It means every day we wake, we have the strength to make it through the day. As God, our great shepherd, leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil, for he is with us. He is carrying us through our hurts, our painful experiences, and brings us to a place of healing. So how do we do this? How do we follow the shepherd? When life's falling apart and we don't know where else to turn, we don't know what it is we can do. We're kind of lost in the moment, kind of confused. What is it we can do practically to keep our strength, to, to remain encouraged as we weather the storm? Verse 28, here is what Asaph says. He gives us some insight on what we can do. Verse 28, he says, As for me, how good is it to be what? What's that say? Near God. First thing you can do is to stay connected personally to the Lord. Stay connected. Don't stop praying. Pray more. Don't stop reading read more. Don't stop worshiping. Worship more. You got to turn the radio up so you can scream. Do it. Whatever you got to do, stay connected to the Lord. Verse 28, he says, I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. The first thing is stay connected personally. Fill your day with worship, prayer, and Bible reading. The second thing you can do is stay connected corporately. Stay connected with other believers to encourage you. Surround yourself with people who are going to point you to Jesus, who are going to pray for you. Pray in the power of the Spirit. Get together in your small group and, and, and come to prayer night. Whatever you can do to stay connected with believers and be encouraged, stay connected together because God put us in the church to build each other up, to strengthen each other so that we can help bear each other's burdens. Stay connected personally. Stay connected corporately. And number three, he says in verse 28, I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. The third thing you do is you share your testimony. Don't stay inward. 
Because when you're inward, you remain focused on your problems. God wants you to look outward to him. He wants you to be built up, yes, but he wants you to look outward and he wants you to reach out to other people. Help someone else in need. Reach out. Share what God is doing in your life with other people and allow him and the Holy Spirit to use you to be a blessing to other people. There is power in your testimony and there's power to heal problems, heal struggles in serving other people. When life falls apart, and at times it's going to feel that way, it's inevitable. You might have had several years of blessing. Sooner or later, just ask Job, sooner or later, bad things just happen. When life falls apart, remember, God is leading you. God is leading you. He's not abandoned you. He is with you. And he's leading you to a glorious destiny. Pain is part of our refining process. Maybe you're here today and you feel like your life is falling apart and you need healing. Maybe you realize you haven't connected with God the way maybe you desire you want to because you're still mad at some things that he's allowed to come into your life. In just a moment when we have our time of prayer, I'm gonna invite you to come forward and we'll pray together. And we'll allow the spirit of God to begin doing a healing work in your life. Our prayer team will come forward. We'll be down here to pray with you. If you need healing in your body, you've got aches and pains or sickness or something you're struggling with, we'll have people down here to pray with you because God wants to heal you. He wants to activate your faith in that process. Maybe you need help releasing the bitterness that you have for the Lord or someone else in this room or someone else in your life that's hurt you and you're still holding on to that pain and you need someone to pray with you to walk through releasing that so God can bring healing into your life. There'll be people here to pray with you. But this is the moment where we take the word and we apply it to our lives. This is the moment where we decide, God, I'm going to let you shift my focus and give me revelation or I'm going to stay on the path that I am that's causing pain in my life. Maybe you're here today and you need to share. There's a testimony that God's given you and you need to share it to encourage us and help bring breakthrough in your life. Whatever it is, when we have our time of prayer, I'm going to invite you to do that. But as we close, I want to close with a song. And this is a, a song that I heard a few months ago, but just as I was preparing for this message, it really connected. And the words will be on the screen. Feel free to sing along if you know it. Uh, but I just want us to really meditate on this. And then when the song is over, we'll have our, our time of prayer. water and deepest pain I wouldn't trade it for anything cause my brokenness brought me to you and these wounds are a story you'll use so I'm thankful for the sky
Tell me. 